Outside the Box. Hello and welcome to August's Outside the Box. I am joined by Wet Panic McNoonan. Been wet in my house, really wet and not in a fun way. Thank you. (laughs) And not so wet panic, Jen Offord. Hello. No wet panic here. I was going to call you a dry husk, Jen, but I take that back immediately. Well, I don't know, maybe, maybe a little bit. Jen, the only one of the three of us that hasn't had water pouring through her ceiling at some point in 2022. Still a bit of the year to go, Jen. (sighs) Fingers crossed. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so summer's always a slightly, or August in particular, is always a slightly odd time for television because, of course, the BBC has been mostly sport for the last month or so of an evening and ITV has been mostly something I've been led to believe is called Love Island. <laughs> Anybody watch that? No. Oh, I'm um, please don't. There's, there's very little love, a lot of judgment. So quite a lot of what we're going to be talking about is on the non-terrestrial channels. I would like to start with something that finished at the end of June, so we're a little bit late with it, but because I, for some reason didn't take the first recommendation of this when my brother said there's something really great you should watch on telly and it wasn't till my best mate said there's something really great you should watch on telly winning time the rise of the lakers dynasty which is on sky or now originally an hbo series i have to say part of the thing that put me off is that terrible terrible name <laughs> you originally thought this was a documentary Jen, and it sounds like the name of a documentary rather than the name of the drama. The reason being, it's based on a book which is called Showtime, which is kind of what this entire era of the Lakers dynasty is officially known as. But given that there is a television channel called Showtime and another television series called Showtime, HBO decided not to go with that as a name because it might cause confusion. Winning Time as a name, by the way, reminds me of one very hungover Sunday watching Come Dine With Me, and there was a woman who made a monkfish dish and she shouted, it's monkfish time, and did a little spin. <laughs> and that's what it makes me think of. Okay, this comes from Adam McKay. Mick, do you want to do a little rundown of who Adam McKay is for listeners? Anchorman, 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 Anchorman. So yeah, Adam McKay was the director of Anchorman, which is excellent, obviously. And, and you can absolutely see that kind of journey. He also directed The Big Short, which is excellent. And he also did recently Don't Look Up. Close collaborator with Will Ferrell. Until this, mm. Winning Time has caused the collapse of both our working partnership and friendship. That is sad. Oh. It is, but I will say, let's say what it's about first. It's, a, it's about the rise of the Lakers in the 1980s. And it tells the story of Dr. Jerry Buss, who's a self-made man and scientist who decides to buy the Lakers in the 1970-80 series at the same time he buys Magic Johnson. And it really does kick off a, a new era in basketball. Will Ferrell wanted to play Dr. Jerry and Adam McKay said he wasn't right for it and cast John C. Riley. Apparently that was announced before he'd actually told Will Ferrell personally. And that's what caused them to fall out. And that's not a great way con- to conduct a friendship, but mm. it is a great way to be a producer because he is absolutely spot on john c Riley is amazing oh, he's so in good this. he's so good will ferrell would have been to some degree will ferrell in this 
and John C. Riley is amazing. Jen, have you watched any of this at all? No, I've not had a chance to. I was excited about it when you first mentioned it because I thought, oh, great, another documentary about basketball because the, <laughs> the last one I watched, the the last dance was fantastic. But no, it it sounds really good. It it will definitely be, it, you know, that's a very interesting era of basketball in, in the US. So I will look forward to watching it, but I've not had a chance yet. It has an amazing cast. So many, so many great people in this. Some of them almost unrecognisable. Jason Segel. I. It took me a while to, to for me to realise that that was Jason yeah, Segel. I don't bit know why. By that, because I was like, yeah, that's Jason Segel, like totally. I don't know why, but I have to say, he throws himself into absolutely everything he does with such abandon that I absolutely love him. I think Adrian Brody is great in this, as is Jason Clark's perpetual one note fury as jerry west (laughs) is one of the funniest things that's been on television for such a long time even his happy face is still vaguely furious and it's perfect i've never seen jason clark do comedy before and who knew he had it in him how did they find actors to play these basketball players you might ask because number one they have to be good at acting number two they have to be believably tall to be a basketball you said number tall i love that you predicted what number two was going to be about number tall and number three they have to actually look like they could play basketball they've got round it two ways solomon hughes plays kareem abdul jabbar the captain of the lakers during this period and he he is a former basketball player he he's really very good excellent as the really zen centre of things. He is almost the opposite, as in he's one-note calm, even when he's being really angry, even when he's telling people to fuck off. He does it in an unbelievably calm way. Magic Johnson, that's a newcomer, and he is quite a find, Quincy Isaiah. And how those two interact is amazing, because Jabbar is one of a number of people who is not very happy of his representation in this. They've created drama, perhaps where drama wasn't, so their personalities aren't quite the same. But I actually think the way these two interact is brilliant because Jabbar represents not just old school basketball and Magic Johnson, you know, is playing a newer style of basketball. In fact, the whole team is playing a newer style of basketball. But he also represents an older style of civil rights attitudes. Magic Johnson is the coming man. He is the 1980s. He is money, 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 money. Whereas Jabbar, I think, really represents the 1970s, which is about politics and power. Mm-hmm. Wood Harris falls into that yeah. as well. He plays that. Uh... Jen, Avon Barksdale turns up as Spencer Hayward. Oh, wow. Brilliant. There's so much stuff that happens in this that I thought that would never happen. Oddly, that turns out to be the true shit. And it's the other stuff that they've tinkered with, mm-hmm. like sort of people's biographies a little bit. Yeah, I absolutely adored it. Gabby Hoffman is brilliant as Claire, the woman who's charged with attempting to keep the show on the road. Because it has, you don't watch Mad Men, Jen. The, it, the whole series has this failing of this juggernaut that the wheels are about to fall off. And it is very much like those episodes of Mad Men where they lose control of the business and they all go into a blind panic and everybody piles in and starts sort of grabbing ideas and stealing clients and doing all of that stuff. I love it. I absolutely love it. It's the best thing I've seen for ages. Apologies to my brother. It took me a while to catch up with this. Mickey? Yeah, I think you've pretty much covered everything. It's so beautifully done it's really fast paced but not so fast that it's dizzying 
And there's a lot of uh, breaking the fourth wall. There's a lot of like font comes up on screen and tells you stuff. I think it really tackles the racism of the era mm. very, very well. John C. Riley is astonishing as Dr. Jerry Buss, who's basically a penis with a brain, but like a really good brain, like a, business, <laughs> a really great, a really brain. great business yeah. brain. And I found it so interesting that he starts off when you first start watching, you are absolutely charmed by Dr. Jerry Buss. And as the series goes on, along with everyone else who has to spend any amount of time with him, that charm wears thin. And I think that is a very, very clever thing to do and they've done it incredibly well you're still sort of rooting for him because you're rooting yeah. for the lakers his relationship with sally field who plays his mum that is really beautifully rendered as well it's touching it's really antagonistic the way he treats women is very of the time but they do it mm. without making it salacious which you know this yeah. isn't game of tits there are tits but i think it's it's done within context and i'm not offended by it you know i mean it's my right to be offended their right to offend if that's what they want to do but yeah i'm not like oh why have they done this this seems a bit gratuitous it's not done in that way at all as you know, yeah. gratuitous tit shots are, are my thing. So <laughs> as long as I it's mean, not they're gratuitous. Because he was you know. part of the Playboy Mansion era yeah. and it's very much, it's it's covered Magic Johnson and, and how fame say, changes him is really interesting. Um, but they keep the links with his, his folks at home, the fact that he's a country mm. boy and the divisions within even where the black characters come from and how they're all thrown together in a team and have got all these different life experiences is really well done and how... America treated, potentially still treats, its black sports stars well, as yeah. different. It's such a good study of the era and it's also really fucking entertaining. Yeah, big fan. Mickey and I had a conversation about how there is just an incredible scene. His daughter, who actually now runs the Lakers, uh, Jerry Buss's daughter, is sort of tasked with trying to make this a bit more, you know, appealing to everybody. And she comes up with the idea that you should get rid of cheerleaders and bring in dancers. And she hires mm. Paula Abdul <laughs> to sexy up cheerleading, which hadn't really happened before this point. And there's a bit in it where Paula Abdul shows her a dance and they're in the club and her dad's there loving it because women being sexy. And what they're dancing to is You Can Ring My Bell. And there is a moment where her face just drops and you realise she's just thought, I can never unring this bell. It is absolutely rank the way, like, still to this day, like, the dancers at basketball. Like, it's mm. it's it's so sexualised, it's abhorrent, really. Thank you, Jeannie uh, uh, Bussy, yeah. The, the other thing that that song really represents as well is when she's watching this, she's also watching her dad's reaction and she's kind of made herself wear blinkers to the man he is and those blinkers fall off at that point and she can't unring that bell either and her relationship with him shifts from that point on yeah it's a really interesting era in um los angeles history as well so so it sounds and the states in general because obviously we all know what happened to magic johnson so mm. um Exactly that, but what I will say is I, I never quite like to think about what's coming in case stuff gets cancelled. Because I'm yeah. like, you know, mm. yeah, yes, that the, the we are about to pile into the 1980s. Mm. And and there is a hint of it. It kicks off with him in the doctor's office receiving some sort of bad news. Mm. Yeah. But also, you know, the LA riots are coming. All yeah, of that exactly. Stuff is, yeah. Is, about, is about to happen. So, yeah. Yeah, I think it's brilliant. Oh, well, I look forward to watching that. It sounds awesome. It is. 
Mickey, you have also been watching something. I have seen it as well, but you are going to tell us about it, which is The Resort. It is also on Sky. Yeah, it's. I'm watching it on Now TV, and it's really telling what Now TV is advertising The Resort alongside. Yellow Jackets, Big Little Lies, and The White Lotus. Hmm. All excellent, all dark as fuck. In fact, it was a yearning for the White Lotus, specifically Murray Bartlett's incredible turn as hotel so manager Armand, that led me to the resort. Similarities. Well, the resort is also set in a lush holiday resort, as hinted at by the title, populated by people with money to spare. There's darkness not far below the surface, if not already bubbling over. It's funny. It's really well acted, with props in particular to Kristin Milotti as Emma, a woman deep into an unhappiness she cannot or will not acknowledge. She is married to Noah, played charismatically enough by the good places William Jackson Harper, but to be fair, he is little more than a stooge for Emma's whims and emotions. And the plot is pretty convoluted, but here goes. Emma and Noah are on holiday in a swanky resort to celebrate 10 years of marriage, or as it becomes clear pretty quickly, attempt to save it. Emma takes a tumble in the jungle and ends up next to a crusted over flip phone, and its SIM card offers her a welcome distraction from her unhappiness and gives her a project. When, digging through the text and photos, she discovers that the phone belonged to a baby-faced, middle-aged haired man, well, college kid, Mm What is going on with his hair? Uh, yes. Called Sam, and that's Skylar Gazondo, who 15 years ago was staying at the nearby Oceana Vista when he and another guest, Violet, Nina Bloomgarden, went missing just before a hurricane totally wiped out the resort. So Noah catches a sleuth in and joins the investigation, fueled mostly by booze and chaos. But that'll happen when there's clearly a time hole somewhere and the Oceana Vista's owner, Alex, was an odd, overbearing chap whose ears leaked memory fluid and on the night of the hurricane strode into the sea, never to be seen again, and appears to have painted a mural with the past, present and future. And it is a lot. It's a lot. There's a lot going on. Too much going on, potentially. Actually, I haven't even mentioned the show's best character and he really is excellent. That is Baltasar Frias. Agreed. Yeah. Former manager at the Oceana Vista, Alex's best mate, and another would-be detective, except he's actually got some chops when it comes to working some stuff out. And that's Louis Dorado Mendez. And he plays Baltazar with such earnest enthusiasm and fun and a determination to unravel the mysteries of what happened to his friend and the two missing kids that I'm just utterly delighted whenever he's on the screen. We just talked about winning time and how that is fast-paced without being dizzying, whereas this is fast-paced and it is a bit dizzying. There's a barrage of stuff going on, even when nothing is actually going on, which can feel a bit try-hard, because it is trying really, really hard to please. But I'm going to say, and this might be unfair, I'm going to caveat this, but for all its musings on existentialism and memory and grief and boredom and the giddy joy of solving a puzzle and our obsession with true crime, it lacks the depth of, say, the White Lotus and that side commentary on privilege, exploitation, cultural appropriation. Mm. And, you know, like I said, it's probably unfair of me to compare them, but I can't help it. They're too similar for me not to compare them. On a positive, it's still really entertaining. I'm five out of eight episodes in and intrigued enough that I'll watch it to the end. But I am sort of just watching. I'd rewatch The White Lotus and I might. Yeah, because we talked about this at the start because I saw it four on the preview service. And around episode four, it starts to sort of take a narrative shift and it becomes a little bit more 
lost. Mm. And I would say lost with a capital L and a lowercase L. (laughs) I agree with almost everything you've said. White Lotus is an incredibly good satire and this isn't it. I think if you like that sort of thing, if you like Lost and maybe if you like Yellow Jackets, which I did. Oh, I love Yellow Jackets. I've never seen Lost. Lost really isn't my bag, even though it's... Damon Lindelof. Damon Lindelof, yeah. I think it's more that it's not my bag than that it's bad. It's not bad. It's good. It's just not necessarily my cup of tea. Mm. Strong female lead, all of that stuff. Nick Offerman, just not enough Nick Offerman for my liking. I couldn't fit his character into the plot. Do you know, like, given a plot summary, if if you've got Nick Offerman in it and he doesn't mm. even make it to the plot summary, you're not using Nick Offerman enough? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So, Jen, mm. you've also been catching up with something that you probably should have watched ages ago. That also isn't on terrestrial television, so... Give us a quick burst of that, would you? Yes, I will. So I have, with my mum, uh, binge-watched two entire seasons of Ted Lasso, which the third season of which is now being, I think it's being written or filmed. It's in production, basically. Um, I don't know when it will be coming, I think, towards the end of the year. So I should have watched this ages ago, as Hannah said. It's based on a character created by... Jason, is it Sudeikis? Sudeikis. 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 Oh, well, well, any of those. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) I'm going to go Sudeikis because that's what I thought it was. Oh, just you mentioning his name makes me want to just do this. So Ted Lasso was a character (laughs) on some sort of NBC comedy situation and he's created a show about him. So the premise of it is... There's a woman called Rebecca who has, in her divorce settlement from her ne'er-do-well cheating ratbag of a husband, she's been awarded the football club that he owned, right? Uh, He's played by Anthony Stewart Head, and he is a wanker. And she is played by Hannah Waddington, and she is tremendous. Anyway. Anthony um, Stewart Head, as in Buffy? Yeah. Giles? Yeah. Giles is a wanker now. Slimy bastard. Awful. Philandering... (laughs) So and so. Anyway, so she's got the club, which he loves. It's his baby. And so her thing is, right, well, I am going to fuck shit up. I'm going to ruin this club, basically. So she hires Ted Lasso, who is an American football coach in the US. And she brings him over here. He knows An American football coach or an American American football coach? An American football coach. So she brings him over here and he knows nothing about what we call football and they call, obviously, soccer. And so I think that's he sets Socha. about Socha. Socha. <laughs> and so he sets about doing his best to make the team work. Obviously, it's a bit tricky because he doesn't have a clue what he's doing. There's a kit guy, a kit man called Nate, who knows everything about football, and he kind of like he basically promotes him to assistant coach. He's got another assistant coach who's come with him, Beard, and then there's all sorts of characters on the team, including Jamie Tart, played by Phil Dunster, who they do. And I've been thinking about this a lot. Did they think of this before they thought of his name? Did they want to have something that rhymed with Baby Shark? I don't know, but they sing Jamie Tut do 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 Jamie Tut do 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 do. It's brilliant. Anyway, what came first is what I'm asking. Anyway, so basically, and then it's got Brett Goldstein as um, as Roy Kent. Very, very cryptically there, based on, I would say, Roy Keane. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I was going to, that would have been my guess, yeah. Just a guess. 
and it's got Juno Temple as Keely, who is originally Jamie Tart's girlfriend and ends up being uh, Roy Kent's girlfriend and all sorts of other people. It's not really about football. It's about loads of other stuff. If you don't like football, it's fine. You will. My mum loved it, like absolutely loved it. It's really funny, but not in a really like, I watched two episodes of it and I was a bit like, I don't know what the fuss is about. I'm not bothered about this at all. But my mum was like, no, I quite like it. So we kept watching it. And then we just blitzed two series in like two weeks, basically. It's fantastic. The things that they do, they, they talk about really important things in a very gentle way that I guess is probably aimed at men who wouldn't necessarily find it comfortable. To, there's a lot of chat about mental health, for mm. example, like relationships with dads and, and things like that. And it's and But it's also absolutely full of optimism and loveliness and warmth, but not in a way that's really kind of like saccharine and awful or cheesy. Like it's a bit cheesy, but it's very knowing in that way. Like he's meant to be a bit cheesy. He's American for fuck's sake. So... <laughs> Like, it's it's just... I really do think there's something for everyone. The, the female characters in it are great. They're very strong. There's stuff in there that women will relate to, like, I don't know, going back into the dating scene after a, a, a breakup or, or, like, trying to figure out how to get on at work and present yourself in a certain way in a man's industry when you're a woman, etc., etc. So I think there's stuff in there that women can relate to. I think there's shed loads of stuff that men can relate to. I could not recommend it highly enough. I think it's fantastic. Great. You've said three words that I've heard so often about Ted Lasso, and that is gentle, delightful, funny. Yeah. Welcome back. We do still have a couple of other things still on non-terrestrial. I don't know. Other things. Extraterrestrial. (laughs) Extraterrestrial television. I just want to talk briefly about Gaslit, which is an eight-part series on Amazon Again, a really <laughs> terrible name. It's about Watergate. I was going to say, is it anything to do with gaslighting? <laughs> well, sort of. Surely we'll we've all that. heard about it because you guy, Dan Watts' chops, went on afternoon telly and slagged off Boris Johnson by describing the plot of Gaslit and went, oh, no, actually, no, that's Boris Johnson. This is what happens in Gaslit. Oh, oh right. Okay, yeah. I didn't know that. But didn't... there you go. That's yeah. exactly it. Dan Stevens is playing John Dean, the man who, who turned on Nixon eventually jailed for his role in things but it it was he who kind of gave all the gave all the goods to the Watergate commission his wife is played by Betty Gilpin in this Yay! rather brilliantly yeah she's terrific the lead character is Julia Roberts who plays Martha Mitchell who's this southern socialite and wife number 3 i think of Nixon's attorney general John Mitchell and she was one of the first people to say that Nixon was actually involved in this she used to shout her mouth off i put that in quotes Quite a lot about this. <laughs> and I think the idea is that she was told she was wrong. And, you know, she was right. Hence, it's called Gaslit. Right. But, yeah, I don't know. It just doesn't work for me as a name. Loads of great people in this. Chris Messina, Alison Tolman. Um, are you interested in Watergate? Will you like this thing? If you're asking me would you, who's interested in this, I'm going to say Jen. It'll be a no. Mickey, it'll be a maybe. Me, it will be an absolutely yes. Okay. What I want to bring up in it, though, is, you know that great speech that Alec Baldwin gives in 30 Rock about how once you've been on television, it's not Alec Baldwin, it's Jack, but it is actually Alec Baldwin, weirdly, if you know what I mean, talking through Jack, about how once you've been on television, you're never taken seriously as a movie actor again. 
And at the point he said that in the early 2000s, it was probably accurate. But now it's not, mm, you know. TV shifted, hasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Loads of movie stars are now t- on television. Mm. It would be absolutely churlish for me to say that I want to see less of Julia Roberts because Julia Roberts is amazing and she is amazing in this. My problem with it is that her husband, John Mitchell, is played by a heavily covered in prosthetics, Sean Penn. And I don't know why. There are at least three other men in this that I would rather have seen have a crack at that role. Chris Bauer is in this, Shea Wiggum is in this, John Carroll Lynch is in this. And I would personally have rather seen any of them take on the role than an unrecognisable Sean Penn, who is really OTT in this. Mm. I mean, in in everything, Sean Penn is quite OTT. I think there's a time and a place for Sean Penn, and yeah, it's not here. No. Quick tangential question. Does Chris Bauer look somewhere in his mid-40s? Yes, awesome. he does. Good, yeah. It's good to yeah. check in on Chris yeah. Bauer. A couple of other things worth commending this for. It does have its yeah, whole storyline dedicated to Frank Willis, who is the security guard who basically called the police on the burglars and set this whole thing off, often ignored in the story. And whose connection to this... John Dean is still about making money as a commentator and so are a lot of other people. And Frank Willis's life went downhill because mm. of his relationship with this scandal. And I think that is covered very well. But yeah, and as it is, Shea Wiggum is absolutely phenomenal as G. Gordon Liddy, who's this really weird character who was, uh, a lot of people were weird that were around Nixon, but he's particularly weird. He's a neo-Nazi, like a, properly mm. a full neo-Nazi who was involved Unpleasant. with Nixon. Because say, if you're into sort of that period of history, you'll probably like this. But Jen, I'd say it's probably not not for you, since you fell asleep in um, all the president's men, didn't you? Yes, I did. I don't think that's necessarily because I'm I not interested in... I think she fell asleep in... during when I was talking about that there, to be honest. Uh, maybe not a reflection on the film and just a reflection on new motherhood, I think. I would maybe say president's men. probably more that, but yeah. One last thing to mention on the streaming services. Mickey. Yes. Tell me what the palaver about Sandman is. It's time in my life I will never get back. And I feel quite sad about that. Luckily, I only watched two episodes. And, you know, it's very silly. And fantasy stuff is allowed to be silly. And I'm not diminishing fantasy stuff because I read the Sandman graphic novels. I love American Gods, which is also Neil Gaiman. I was a Mm. huge fan of Preacher, the graphic novels. Mouse is amazing. I'm not I'm not someone who doesn't understand. I understand. You heard us talk about Spider-Man. I was obsessed. But it's very earnest. Tom Sturridge is playing Dream and he's like, oh my goodness, I'm Dream. And it's like <laughs> Robert Smith, the day he lost his favourite eyeliner. He's so, so sad. <laughs> and it's just a lot. You know, you're like, oh God, Dream, come on, man. And he's, everything's wrong and I've got to fix it. And yeah, I just find him so earnest and so depressing. And then there are moments where they try to bring in the levity and the joy of graphic novels. But there's just too much. There's just too much dream. There's just too much storage. And um, they keep killing off the best characters really quickly. So, yeah, I think I'm going to I'm going to abandon that. But good luck to everyone who perseveres. Fair enough. Succinct. I like it. Okay. 
I suppose the BBC's biggest drama over the last month or so isn't actually from the BBC. It's an Australian drama, but we'll talk about it because I thought it was really charming and really well done, which is The Newsreader. Six episodes. I think it's still on television, but all of them are on the iPlayer if you want to binge it, which I did. Set at a Melbourne news station in, well, currently in 1986, but there is more to come. So uh, I guess the next one will be set in 1987, but maybe they'll do something different. And tells the story of one of the presenters, Helen, who's played by Anna Torv, who people might recognise from Mindhunter. And a reporter, Dale, who's played by Sam Reed, who, if you took up my advice to watch the thing about the feral nuns, you will recognise from that. <laughs> He's very different in this. <laughs> yeah. It's a little bit glow. It's a little bit Julia. I think it's really good. Half of it is sort of a focus on how they deal with major events that are going on in the world or, you know, on their doorstep, in fact. And about half of it is based on their domestic situations. And I think that that is a good mix. I've seen a couple of people say, oh, it's a bit cliche because, you know, the sports guy is the one that has an inferiority complex because he thinks everybody else thinks he's stupid. And the camera guy is the one that's obsessed by sex. And I've worked in a lot of news organisations and that is always the same. (laughs) That is absolutely always the same. And I don't think there's a more accurate representation of what it's like to be in conference than when they're talking about how they have to fill 180 stories about the wedding of Prince Andrew and Sarah Ferguson and the news editor says at the top there are no bad ideas we've got 180 stories there are no bad ideas imagine if dennis had known what happens to prince andrew (laughs) would have been really easy to fill those stories that so anatov and sam reed have good chemistry as do sam reed and chai hansen who plays tim his cute as fuck cameraman and there is obviously a storyline going on there that i don't want to spoil Personally, my favourite uh, character in this is Nolene, who's played by Michelle Davidson, who is the the sort of, I don't know, editorial assistant, whatever title she has, and is absolutely brilliant at everything, but is looked down upon because she is both a woman and a minority, which is pretty similar to the plot in, in Julia, but it works. So, yeah, I really liked it. Making I have seen, seen five out of six episodes. I like it. I think it's really good. I'd add into your comparisons that it's also a little bit Anchorman. I'd like that all of the things we've watched are sort of linked in some way today, this month, yeah. I should say. Yeah, I think there's quite a lot of Anchorman in it. And I don't mean in its silliness. I don't think it's it's nowhere near as silly yeah. as Anchorman. It obviously does take itself quite seriously. And rightly so, it's covering some really serious topics. But... The the characters, yeah, there's a hint of Anchorman. And I really like it. It's very, very watchable. I think it's touching on some incredibly important topics. Uh, I'm really pleased, actually, that there's going to be another season. Okay, Jen, you have also been watching something on The Beeb. Yes, I have. I have been watching Stefan Goloszewski's new drama, Stefan Goloszewski, who also wrote Mum and Him and Her, which neither of which I've seen before, but both have been, I think people liked them, generally speaking. I'm not a fan of Him and Her, if I'm honest. I think I've watched them one episode and I fucking hated it. Has that got Russell Tovey in it, Hannah? Is this yeah, a big crying? <laughs> I, d- I don't like Russell Tovey in anything, to be honest. I find him 
I was doing my Russell Tovey crying face. So it stars one of our favourites, Nicola Walker, as Yay. Emma, and Sean Bean as Ian, <laughs> who are a married couple. And it is called Marriage, I should probably say that up the top. And they are a married couple of 27 years. Ian is recently unemployed, wandering around his local leisure centre, not really knowing what to do with himself, worrying about upsetting people. And Emma is quite sort of uptight office worker with a really young boss and a bit of a weird kind of situation at work. They have a daughter, Jess, who comes home for a visit with a terrifyingly controlling boyfriend. There's all sorts of bits and bobs going on here. It opens with an argument in an airport about a jacket potato. Relatable. Yeah, which escalates to them like effing and blinding at each other. But when the flight actually takes off, they just, he looks a bit panicked and nervous and they just silently take each other's hands and hold them over the aisle of the plane, which is sort of quite a lovely little bit of imagery there. So I have only watched one episode because at the time of recording this, there was only one episode available. I honestly have absolutely no idea where this is going. So I just have some kind of general observations really uh, at this point in time. Sean, Sean Bean is so much better as an actor than I have previously given him credit for until quite recently i just i have always thought he was a bit shit i've never really rated him he's fantastic in time which we talked about on this podcast before it's an incredible watch but i've never really thought he was that good to be honest um on Yorkshire Day, Jen, I shared on our Twitter 56 seconds of Sean Bean saying the word bastard and it's some of the best <laughs> the best dialogue you've ever heard. <laughs> but he's he's really great in this in the same kind of way that he is in time. He's very understated. Mm. And, and I think he's better when he doesn't say that much, to be honest. Um, <laughs> I think that works better for his style. I, I, I don't know. Anyway, it, it's a very, very tense watch. It's quite uncomfortable. Um, occasionally it throws sort of fairly harrowing plot devices at you which you're not expecting it's mostly quite mundane which I guess is a bit like a 27 year marriage is Um, but it's also there's also a lot of real warmth and tenderness to it which again I guess is a bit like a 27 year marriage Mm -hmm. one hopes so it felt longer than an hour to me it does sort of it it's not fast paced it's quite like it's not an easy watch by any stretch of the imagination but i am intrigued so i will watch the next episode of it but i might not persevere any longer than that unless it kind of steps up a little bit fair enough and also shetland is back it is i do i love shetland it's back for its seventh series with Douglas Henshaw playing D.I. Jimmy Perez in his swan song. It's the last series that he's going to be involved in. I think that the series is going to continue, but just without Henshaw. I don't have loads to say about it at this point. Again, I'm only one episode in because that's all that was available at the time of recording. Listeners, regular listeners of Outside the Box know that I love a bit of Shetland and I expect I'll have more to say about this next month. But, I mean, so far, so good. It's kind of the same. It's it's sort of what I expect from Shetland, to be honest. I think Douglas Henshaw's great in it. I'm really sad that he's leaving. I hope it's his last hurrah rather than his swan song, Jen, because otherwise you've just yeah. predicted the death of Douglas Henshaw. And yeah. that, that, I mean, stay tuned, listeners. But I hope he's not going to die. I wonder if 
Jimmy might, though. But anyway, we'll see. We'll find out. Maybe um, you'll meet his doppelganger. It can happen. <laughs> yeah, I really like it. And I think just, I know we've talked about this on the podcast before, but I will just say this is series seven, but I only started watching it, I think, at series five. So I'd missed quite a lot of the backstory. And I think it works as a standalone kind of thing. You can watch the other series. Possibly they'll be on, available on iPlayer now because they do sometimes do yeah, that yeah, with programs when they come yeah. back. But previously, it has only been available on BritBox, which I don't have. So I did want to go back and start from the start, but I've, I've not been able to do that as yet because I'm not taking out another fucking subscription that no, I won't use on a regular basis. No, but if any listeners do basis. decide that they are going to do the free trial of BritBox to cram in some Shetland, also watch the thing about the feral nuns. Feral nuns, yeah, that get, would be my advice. Yeah. Get that in your eyes and ears. Absolutely. Right, well, we're about three or four days away from the release of House of Dragon, which is the big TV news, and I am ambivalent as fuck, but maybe we'll talk about that next month if I become less ambivalent. Okay. Well, there's a teaser. (laughs) Never watched it. It's Game of Thrones, isn't it? The prequel, is that right? Yeah, but it's yeah. about the Targaryens who were all really incesty. Incesty, oh, yeah. I don't give a fuck about the Targaryens yeah. or Jon Snow or any of it, to be honest. Let's leave them with incest and go. Thanks for <laughs> listening. Outside the box.